0: Hey, MidCurrent, once again, let me just uh, say welcome to you. I know we welcomed you at the beginning, but uh, I'm really thrilled that you could be here with us or even watching uh, online. We're really glad um, that we can all be together. I'm hoping uh, that I remember how to do this whole live, in-person communication thing after five months speaking into a camera. I actually like being uh, on camera, but the camera does not uh, even slightly laugh at any of my jokes, so that was always... Uh, a little disappointing. So I'm glad to be back. Uh, in all seriousness, though, what I'm most excited about today uh, is beginning a brand new uh, message series, a four-part message series today called I'm In. Everybody say, I'm in. I'm in. Some of you are like, I'm not saying anything uh, until you tell me what I'm in for. I don't blame you. Uh, but what I think uh, will happen, what I'm hoping is going to happen is when this series is all done, uh, that is exactly what you will be saying. Now, I wish I could take credit uh, for all of the uh, your big ideas that I'm gonna introduce over the next four weeks, but I can't 100% do that. A lot of what I'm gonna talk about uh, in the next four weeks is inspired by a few different places. Number one, a church in Oklahoma uh, known as Life Church. Number two, a podcast interview that I most recently listened to uh, with Timothy Keller. He's a brilliant author, a retired uh, pastor from Manhattan. And so when I came across uh, this stuff, I realized, man, this is exactly, this is exactly Uh, what has been on my heart uh, for all of us right now. I said this is exactly the stuff that I want everyone uh, at MidCurrent and in our community uh, to hear and to know right now, whether you've been here since day one, uh, or whether you're just uh, checking things out today, or whether you're just kicking the tires of this whole Jesus thing uh, in general. This is the stuff um, that I wanted everyone uh, to hear. Uh, and, and so th- what I want to do over the next four weeks of this series is to share with all of you uh, the four things. There's four things that I want you to know are absolutely true about you. I want uh, you to know that these four things are true about you, uh, and I also want you to know uh, that, that, that these you know, four things, I want your friends, your, your neighbors, your coworkers to know these four things are true about them uh, too, because what we believe to be true about us, I, I think deep down inside of us, what we believe to be true of us. I think it affects us uh, in really significant ways, spiritually, emotionally, uh, mentally. I think it affects us in really significant ways and ultimately contributes to what we believe about our identity uh, and who it is that we are. And identity is a really big deal right now. In fact, based on 30 years uh, of ministry in Manhattan, Timothy Keller would argue that in today's post- Christian world, meaning a world that you can no longer just assume that people operate with some general Christian principles, that in today's post-Christian world, more people would consider the meaning of life and the goal in life to be about creating identity. He's not saying that that's what he thinks the meaning of life should be. This is just what he is observing. But this wasn't always the case over these 30 years. So really quickly, if I can, here's what I want to do. I want to call a, a quick timeout and give you a brief history lesson on how we got here. So about a generation or more ago, the universal meaning of life, Timothy Keller would say, for all people was to be a good person. That was the goal, just to be a good person. I would agree, right? And and most people then uh, would feel guilty when they weren't as good as they maybe thought they should be. And so the church played a vital role uh, in helping people to understand that there is no moral effort uh, that could remove that guilt. It was only the forgiveness Uh, of Jesus that could remove the guilt that someone felt from not being as good a person as they were felt they were supposed to be. Okay, that started to change then. Okay, Uh, little by little, people stopped feeling guilty for not being as uh, good a person as they thought they should be. And quite frankly, they didn't like being told that they should feel guilty in the first place. And so now as things shifted, the meaning of life, it was no longer to be a good person, but to be a free person okay? you just to be free, to free to discover your inner self and to express it without guilt. The truth is, though, apart from Jesus, no one is as free as they think they are, right? Everyone has to live for something, uh, and whatever it is that you are living for, make no mistake, it will enslave you, okay? If it's your career or your figure or your reputation or your status, right? If that's what you are living for, it will be your new God. It will be your new master. And the problem is There is no master that will be fully satisfied when you are successful, and there is no master that will be as forgiving when you are not. Jesus Christ is the only master who, when you get him, will satisfy you, and when you fail him, will forgive you. Okay. Now, hang in with me here. One last turn. This is not the end of this. The pendulum has kept on swinging now, and some would say that there's a new universal pursuit Uh, in the world today that is as maybe as post-Christian as it has ever been, okay? It's no longer a a psychological pursuit, but it's a sociological one, okay? It's no longer about finding yourself in here. It's about creating yourself out here. I mean, it's saying, hey, this is who I am, and you can't tell me otherwise. And this brings me right back to what it is I started talking about, identity, okay? So then let me now call a time back in. Okay? Today, the, the meaning of life for more and more people seems to be in creating identity and living into this identity free of guilt or free of pressure, or free of expectation or conformity. The challenge is doing the work to create and sustain and to maintain identity that you desire. It's actually incredibly exhausting, and sometimes it can be loud and pretty messy. For starters, living into the, you know, the own identity of your choosing, uh, it's... Uh, it, It can be really exclusive at times, right? Because in order to promote who you are, uh, you have to demote anyone who is not you or does not stand for what you stand for or stand for it like you do. So by nature, you have to keep others out or keep others down in order to keep yourself up. And number two, creating, maintaining your own identity. it's, It's really quite performative, right? You have to work really hard to be the person that you have determined you wanna be. You have to work hard to prove to everyone else that you're the real deal and you have to defend yourself oftentimes against other people who might be upset with you for not fully representing all the people like you. If it sounds confusing or sounds exhausting, I would say because it is. So here's what I want everyone to know. Here's what I want everybody listening today to know what is true. about what it it, it means for us to have an identity in Jesus. Here's what I want everybody to know when it comes to our identity in, in the midst of this kind of societal swing and this fascination with creating ourselves and creating identity. Here it is right here. I believe that identity found in Jesus is the only identity that is received, not achieved. When the whole you know, cultural you know, kind of swing these days is in creating our identity the way we want it to be, I would say that identity found in Jesus is the only identity that is actually received and not achieved. It's the only identity that is a gift to us. Okay? It's just something we do not have to earn, something we don't have to work for, something we don't have to maintain. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to hustle for it. We don't have to defend it all on our own. It is given to us, and we can rest in it. We, we, we can find comfort in it, be secure in it, and confident in it. And that... That kind of peace, that kind of assurance, that kind of comfort is what I want for you and for me. So let me then wrap up here, uh, quite possibly one of the longest sermon intros I have ever given in my life. Let me wrap up this intro. When it comes to your identity and my identity, which I think is, is only truly and fully found in Jesus, I want each of us to know what is true about us. What is true about us uh, when it comes to the life that Jesus has invited us into? And that is what this series I'm in is really all about. When this series comes to a close, there's four things uh, that I want each of you to, to be certain of, and there's four things that I want each of you to be repeating to yourself every day. And here they are. Okay, number one is this I'm invited invited into the family of God. Number two, I'm invaluable, right? When it comes to your place in God's family, you have immeasurable value. Number three, I'm influential. And number four, I'm invested. See how clever that is? All four of them start with the letters I, am in. Okay, that's one of the things that uh, I can't take credit for, unfortunately. Uh, but I still need you to know that these four things are true of you. Okay? And so today what I want to do is I want to start talking about the truth that when it comes to God's family, when it comes to a, a community of faith, when it comes to life in the church, you are invited. You are invited. Totally, fully, completely, absolutely invited. And the truth is an invitation is a really powerful, powerful thing. Okay, everyone likes to be invited, And everyone knows how it feels uh, when you are not. You ever scroll through Instagram and you're looking at all the pictures and all of a sudden you see a group of your friends all together somewhere else doing something fun and you think to yourself, hmm, I wonder why I wasn't invited, okay? It doesn't feel good, okay? And as sad as it is, I think this is oftentimes how people feel uh, when it comes to church, when it comes to being a part of God's family. They feel uninvited that they feel maybe unwelcome. I tell this story often, but I'll never forget when I learned for myself that this is really truly how how some people just feel about the church or about God's family today. When my wife Erica and I uh, lived in Colorado, she worked at a chiropractor's office, and we got to know uh, one of the chiropractors there, and we oftentimes uh, invited him uh, to to come to the church uh, which we attended that I worked for out there, and he usually declined. Great dude, super nice guy, always declined. Well, one year, this chiropractor set up a little booth um, at the finish line, kind of the vendor area of a huge 5K road race that was held in northern Colorado and hosted at our church, right? And so I figured, man, this was perfect. He was going to be there. We kind of, you know, get his foot in the door. I figured if we could just get him there, actually, you know, maybe, maybe that would be the first step. Maybe I could show him around a little bit. Our our auditorium or the kind of worship space, uh, really neat space. Uh, and so I thought, man, may, maybe if I could just bring him around, give him a little tour of the space, maybe it would ease some of his concerns about, you know, what, what church was really all about. And so I invited him kind of behind the scenes, right? I invited him for a little backstage uh, tour, thinking that might help. And hes- hesitantly, he took me up on my And As we walked into the, the, the big main worship center. To tell you the truth, he seemed nervous. Okay, this is like a Saturday morning. Church isn't even running, right? He seemed nervous, and eventually he acknowledged quite reluctantly, I'm not sure I should be in here. He said, I I think God might strike me down with lightning. Okay, now the sad part is, is, is I think that he was only partly kidding. Okay, the, the more and more that, that we talked there in that moment, the more I realized there was something about him that made him feel like I, I, maybe I shouldn't be here. Okay, the, the, there was something about him that made him feel like, hey, maybe this place isn't for me. I'm not welcome here. I, I think he just assumed in so many, uh, so many ways that they probably wouldn't want me here, and he assumed that really this place was not for him. I'm not sure I should be in here. Right? God might strike me down. Midcurrent, if you've ever felt ashamed, if you've ever felt unworthy, if you've ever felt unwanted, if you've ever felt unwelcome, if you've ever felt uninvited before, I want you to hear today one of the greatest truths about Jesus, which is this. Jesus invites the people that others reject. Jesus invites the people that others reject. Jesus invites the people that that others overlook. He welcomes the people who feel like, man, maybe I don't belong here. He he welcomes the people that feel like, man, they'll be struck down by lightning because they walk too far uh, into a place that maybe they weren't supposed to be. Too far into a place that maybe they weren't invited. And this one truth is highlighted beautifully in a story told in the Gospel of Luke. It's the story of a woman who walked way too far into a place that apparently she was not supposed to be. Apparently she walked way too far into a place where she should have known she was uninvited. And So I want you to hear that story today. It starts in Luke chapter 7 verse 36. Here's what it says. You can follow along. On the side screens. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went, Jesus went to the Pharisees' house and reclined at the table. Let me stop here and fill you in on something. This wasn't just dinner. Okay, the, 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 this was actually kind of more of, a, of a, an elite party, an elite gathering. The Pharisees often held uh, really prestigious gatherings like this because they were uh, really quite prestigious people, the religious elite leaders in the day. And so, what they would do at these dinners and these parties is they would sit in the outer courtyard of their house, where everybody passing by out on the streets could overhear them discuss really important things. Everybody walking by could. Hear Hear them uh, discuss, you know, important societal and political and theological matters. I mean, they they, they felt like, man, there's such a big deal. Okay, now that might sound really boring to you, uh, but in that day, get this: there was no Netflix binge watching, there was no video games, there's no Wi-Fi, there was no Fortnite. So this was literally like free first-century entertainment. For everybody to hear. Okay, this party, these kinds of parties were really a pretty big deal. And Jesus was invited this time around. Okay, and and truthfully, that was kind of a big deal that Jesus was invited to this party because the Pharisees in this day were the top dogs in the religious world and they were not convinced. They were not convinced that Jesus is who he says he was. And they were not convinced that the message that he was preaching was legit. And so Jesus and the Pharisees often butted heads. Nonetheless, Jesus is invited here then. Here's what happens next. Verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Okay? That, that's the polite way. That's, that's code word for she was a prostitute. Okay, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them Now, this might seem strange to, to us. No doubt it was very uncomfortable for all of the Pharisees who were present then, but really there was, there was something so much more uh, profound, something so much more significant happening. This perfume that she poured out, uh, truthfully, it, it, was, it was quite a, a luxury in that day. Right? Some scholars argue that this perfume was, was very well likely, uh, very likely worth in, in value, like a year's worth of, of wages. Right? There was an extreme value, and this was everything that she had, and so she poured it out on Jesus' feet. Right? She falls at his feet. She's she's wiping her her you know her, using her hair to wipe his feet, pouring out her perfume. But the host of this party. This Pharisee was not impressed. Here's verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, get this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if this man is who he says he was, if this man was really the son of God, he would know who is touching him. He would know what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay, Pharisee's going, ha, I knew it busted. I mean I caught him right in the act because he's going, "Hey, if he was really the son of God, he would know this woman isn't welcome here." I mean if he was really the son of God, he would know that she is totally and completely unworthy to be in their presence and certainly unworthy to be in the presence of the son of God. Pharisees going, "Man, for sure if Jesus was the real deal, he would know that this sinful woman was not invited." Then and there. But clearly, the Pharisee did not understand what was so good about the good news that Jesus was preaching. Okay? That he invites those who others reject. That's the good news. Okay? And so Jesus actually decides to use this as a teaching moment. Even though the Pharisee was speaking to himself, it says, the Pharisee thought to himself, even though he was thinking and speaking to himself, Jesus responds to the Pharisee. I don't know if he overheard them, I don't know if Jesus was, was reading his mind, but Jesus responds to the Pharisee, and he tells a little story the text says, right? He tells a story that there's two people that owed money to a money lender, okay? One person's debt was very small and the other person's debt to this money lender was was very large. And and Jesus goes on to explain that the lender cancels both debts. And so he asks, who will love the lender more? The one whose uh, debt was uh, smaller and canceled or the one whose debt was larger and canceled? And the Pharisee answers correctly, the one who owed a bigger debt. And Jesus said, bingo. And then he tells the Pharisee, who we find out his name is Simon, he says, Simon, I walked in here and you hardly acknowledged me. You hardly looked me in the eye, you hardly offered me a handshake or a glass of water or a cup of coffee, nothing. But this sinful woman, she wept at my feet. She wiped her tears with her own hair and she poured out practically her entire Future savings in front of me. He tells Simon, Her many sins have been forgiven, as is demonstrated by her great love. And then his famous line from verse 47 Jesus says, But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. The story ends then with with Jesus saying to this woman, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you, so go in peace. I think it's a really beautiful story that that highlights really clearly what what exactly is so good news. It's a beautiful story that that highlights what exactly is uh, so good about the news that Jesus was sent to earth to deliver. Great story. And as I, as I listen to it, uh, there's some questions that, that come to my mind. Beautiful story, amazing story. But as I listen, there's, there's some questions that really start to come to my mind. I start asking myself, what prompted this woman? What, what, what prompted this, this sinful woman, this woman of the city, right? What prompted her to crash this party like she did? How did she know to bypass all of the Pharisees, right? Men who probably wouldn't have even walked on the same side of the street as her had they saw her coming, right? How did she know to go straight to Jesus? And why did she fall at his feet and pour out her life savings in front of him? Where did this kind of urgency originate? See, I have to wonder if there was something about Jesus that she maybe knew about. I mean, I wonder if she had heard about him, heard about this Jesus before, or even more than that. I start to wonder if she had ever heard him teach herself, live and in person. I mean, he's in her city. Uh, he's often preaching and teaching in the synagogues, synagogues teaching to the crowds who surrounded him. I start wondering, maybe she heard him before. Maybe she heard him preach the good news that he was preaching. Maybe that's why she knew I've got to find this Jesus. Maybe that's how she knew he'd welcome her just as she was. Maybe she heard him teach before. Now, I can't exactly tell you whether that's the case or not, that she ever heard him teach before, because Luke's gospel, the text, doesn't say anything like that. It makes no mention of the fact in Luke's gospel that she ever heard him teach before. Okay, But Luke does tell us this. Earlier, earlier in chapter 7, Luke does tell us that that same day, that the same day as the, as the sinful you know, party crasher, Luke does tell us earlier in the chapter, earlier that day, he does tell us that the disciples of John the Baptist confront Jesus to determine if he is the one that John the Baptist had been preaching about. They want to know. Should we go tell John that he's here? Right? They want to know. And the parallel version of that encounter, okay? because the four books of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all telling the same stories about Jesus from four different perspectives. And so the parallel version of this story, of this encounter with Jesus and the disciples of John, it's also told in the book of Matthew, chapter 11. And Matthew records, in his telling of Jesus' life on earth, Matthew records that on that same day, the day when Jesus and the disciples of John the Baptist meet, he says, on that same day, Jesus was preaching, and Jesus was teaching to the crowds. Okay? And here's one of the messages that he delivered that day. Here's the message that maybe, I don't know, but here's the message that maybe, just maybe convinced this sinful woman from that city to drop everything and to find Jesus. Okay? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 on that same day. He spoke this to those who were listening. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus spoke to the crowds, come to me. If you're tired, carrying a heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. If this is the message that the sinful woman heard, I have to think that it resonated deep down inside of her. I don't know for sure, but I cannot imagine uh, you know, that, 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 that she's really loving the life that she's on. I don't know for sure, but I just cannot imagine that, uh, you know, that, that this is the life that she wanted. But I can't imagine that she's, you know, satisfied or content or fulfilled uh, w- with the path that her life was taking. I cannot imagine that on her first day of school, 20 years ago, she held up a whiteboard that said, first day of school, first grade, Mrs. Anderson, what do you want to be when you grow up? A hooker. I, ca- I cannot imagine. I-, I don't know for sure, but I cannot imagine that that is what she wanted. I don't know, but I cannot picture it. And I don't exactly know what happened to her that led her down that path, but I can't imagine that it's the life that she wanted to be living. So maybe, maybe these words on that day in her hometown while Jesus was there, maybe they were words that she heard and maybe they were words that spoke right to her heart whether she heard them or not, whether they were words uh, spoken uh, in her presence, words spoken to her that day, they are words that are spoken directly to you and to me today. Right? Jesus' message to you and his message to me is simple. Come. Come to me. You're welcome here. No no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've thought before, you're invited, right? You're invited into the family of God. There is space for you here. There is room for you in my Father's house. If you're tired, Jesus says, come to me. You're invited. If you're worn out, If you're burnt out, if you're carrying a heavy burden, Jesus says, come to me. If you failed miserably or messed up time and time again, Jesus says, come to me. You are invited. If you don't feel good enough, never felt good enough, Jesus says, come to me. If you don't feel smart enough or spiritual enough, Jesus says, come to me. If you've ever felt unworthy or unwanted or ashamed of who you are, of what you've done, Jesus says, come to me. He says, in my Father's house, you can check shame at the door, and you can come just as you are. Come with all your hurts, come with all your hopes, all your fears, all your dreams, all your doubts, all your scars. Jesus welcomes it all, and he welcomes you. And he wants you to know what is true of you today and what is true of you tomorrow and every day that is to come, that you are invited. And so his invitation to you is simple. Come. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we give you thank you for the ways that Jesus' life on earth demonstrates so powerfully the truth that we need to know, God. We give you thanks for this story uh, right now, God, because uh, there, there might be some of us here today that need to hear that. No, no, God, maybe there are some of us here today that aren't in the same life situation uh, as this woman. God, but I got I to gotta think... That There are people here today, God, I got to believe that there are people watching online right now that know what it feels like to feel uh, unwanted, to feel unworthy, to feel unwelcome. I got to think there are those of us here today that knows what it feels like to feel like, man, I don't measure up. I don't fit in here. Maybe this isn't for me, right? Maybe God wouldn't be really pleased with me. Maybe, Maybe that's just a place where I'm not welcome. For whatever reason, God, I know that each of us have moments where we feel like maybe Maybe just God wouldn't welcome me. And so my prayer today, God, is that you would speak to each of us. God, speak to our hearts what is true. I pray that as we walk out of here today, as we begin a new week tomorrow, God, as we move forward day in and day out into the life that you have called us to, I pray that each of us here would know deep down in our souls when it comes to the family of God that we Are invited. And I pray that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter what is happening in life, no matter what has happened in our past, no matter what uncertainty lies ahead, I pray that we would know with confidence that we can boldly come to you always and forever, that your arms are open wide. God, we give you so much thanks for your promises that are true and for your love uh, that is uh, the most amazing gift that we could ever ask for, and for your gift of grace that is free. To us, we give you thanks, and we pray this in your name. Amen.